Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. This season of the No BS Pod is proudly brought to you by our friends Beyond and Costco. Beyond offers you the tools you need to get, grow, and optimize your revenue. And Casago's best-in-class tech streamlines operations for the local traditional vacation rental management company, making them the local heroes with a global presence. Our podcast is not possible without the generosity of our sponsors. Make sure to check out their exclusive offers specifically geared for our No BS listeners. Morning, Mateo. How are you? Oh, John, good morning. Doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good. Hey, uh... New week. Uh, we're we're going to jump right into it this week. We're we're not we're not a lot of fanfare, but we want to get into. It's a regulatory nine one one. We uh, we had some people reach out and say, "Hey, we're yeah. going through some shit. Uh, yeah. Can we can we share our story?" And I said, "You know, yeah. we, we chatted about it, and we, we got back with them. We brought a bunch of people together, um, and I want to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Nope. So let's, let's jump into right it. into it. But we're yep. you know for those that are listening." We're going to talk about the unincorporated class of county, Oregon area. We're going to talk about Marco Island, things that are going on in Marco Island. We're going to talk about the city of Atlanta, regulatory issues that are going on there. Um, we're also going to go ahead and talk about the still ongoing issues with Steamboat Springs. And we might have a guest join us later in the show to talk about Honolulu and everything that's going on there as well. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, let's jump in. We'll have... Uh, Brian and Marie talk about the unincorporated Clatsop County, Oregon, introduce themselves, and we'll kind of go around from there. I'll, uh, I'm Brian Olson. I own Beachcomber Vacation Homes in Cannon Beach, Oregon. Uh, we manage about 76 homes right now and getting ready for a battle, um, unincorporated Clatsop County. The county just passed a new ordinance that allowed vacation rentals. Unfortunately, there's a bunch of NIMBYs that have decided that they don't like the new ordinance and they are trying to get a referendum on the ballot for November to ban vacation rentals altogether, phasing them out as their permits expire. So Maureen, I'll let Maureen introduce herself. I'm, I'm in Cannon Beach and I take care of this Falcon Cove where this big group has come out of and working on that. And Marie, I'll let you talk about where you're at. So I'm on the other end of the uh, North Oregon coast down by Warrington, Astoria Seaside. And um, I own a small vacation rental company. We also manage a few others and uh, we've sent out travel trailers all across the country. Um, so we started with that and the businesses we heard cats are the in vacation rentals. I also consult with people around the country who want to uh, start a short-term rental or they're having compliance issues or revenue issues um, just basically do that. Uh, my husband, who helped me start the company, he actually works for Vacasa now, and he is the AGM for the Pacific Northwest and Washington Peninsula. Uh, so we're pretty entrenched in the industry. Um, and I've been really successful at speaking to the county because I do fly under the radar. So maybe I'm a little less intimidating, very active in the community where I'm at. Thanks for the introduction. Um, and, you know, without, you know, Brian, Brian doesn't really, t- you know, you're also the president of a Northwest VRP, correct? Yes, I, I became president of Northwest Vacational Professionals. We have about 80 members now and growing. So that I was vice president the last two years uh, and now I'm president. So we're working on some of those regulatory issues as well through, through NWVRP. 
Awesome. Thanks for sharing. We'll, we'll dive into it, but I, I want to kind of quickly go around, make sure we have everyone introduce themselves. We also have Mark, um, Mark from Marco Island uh, to talk about some of the issues that are going on there. Mark, how are you? I'm well, thanks, John. And thank you, Mateo, for this opportunity. Uh, yes, yeah, so Mark and Marco, I had to change my name in order to take over the territory. Uh, I'm with iTripifications. It's a franchise model. So my wife, Sarah, and I own the rights to the Marco Island territory. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, we're in Florida. We're just south of Naples. And interestingly, last night I was speaking in front of city council. Uh, currently, uh, there is no restrictions in the city of Marco Island to limit duration or frequency of rentals. However, a group of older residents have banded together to put together what they're calling a rental registration system, which is really a backdoor attempt at banning rentals. It goes so far as to say, uh, you can't have any guests at the house that aren't sleeping there past 10 p.m., uh, that no one can sleep in a uh, fold out mattress or couch uh, if you're over the age of 13, uh, different noise ordinance uh, for renters versus residents. So it's masquerading. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing as far as we're concerned. And this is going to be a battle for the heart and soul of this island because so many businesses, uh, we say over 50%, probably even more than that, rely on vacation rentals and renters to, um, to keep this economy going. And interestingly, the JW Marriott, which is the only uh, J.W. Marriott in the world on the beach is here on Marco Island, and they have conference space for 2,300 uh, conference attendees, but can only sleep 800. So vacation rentals, mm -hmm. there's a, a neat detente here where they need the overflow for us because the conference business is a lot more lucrative uh, than weddings. So, uh, so it's an interesting fight that we have on our hands, and it's on the ballot come August 23rd as to whether or not this rental registration ban passes or registration system passes, which would basically uh, require inspect two inspections done and no way to do it. So we could be two years before we get our rental registration approved in order to be able to host guests. So we're all very concerned and nervous about uh, what, what could come of this if, if it passes and the city council adopts it. It's insane. It's, it's insane. What, yeah. what everything's we hear. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Rich, you know, go ahead. Here. Introduce Atlanta. Yeah, sure. Thanks Mateo. Thanks John for uh, having, having me on, on this uh, podcast. Um, Looking forward to exchanging thoughts and best practices with uh, all we've been experiencing. So um, I'm based in Atlanta. I'm with Diamond Edge Properties. My wife and I own a uh, management company. We do um, own some of the properties. We have a master lease business for our rental arbitrage, and then we manage for as well. Uh, right now, we have about 65 properties that we manage, uh, mostly in Atlanta, uh, but in other parts of Georgia, we also expanded down to the Tampa, Florida market uh, a little over a year ago. And so uh, I personally have been actively involved with uh, lobbying efforts. And uh, on, uh, I was on the board of the state level association, the Short Term Rental Owners Association of Georgia, uh, for a little over four years and very active with uh, lobbying efforts on the city and county level and surrounding areas around Atlanta. As we followed what happened in Atlanta, March of 2021, they voted to approve a short-term rental ordinance that is very uh, restrictive. And um, not to be surprised, a lot of the other major cities adopted very similar model legislation where it's a primary resident requirement, uh, and then you're able to do one additional unit. And so as we uh, saw this come to be, you know, the, the statewide association had a lot of individual members that were kind of uh, uh, one or two listings. And uh, we saw the need to uh, develop an association that had uh, different needs uh, and that are directly impacted by this blockout, essentially, of uh, this new ordinance. 
And so Mateo actually joined the board as well and has been very instrumental with some of the things we've been putting together strategically. Uh, we formed uh, back in December of last year and launched in January. Uh, we were able to uh, raise a legal fund pretty quickly within a couple of weeks uh, to around 60,000 to uh, basically have an attorney engaged that's very experienced with short-term rental uh, legislation for uh, going after grandfathering rights. And so we, rather than having any of us having to do personal guarantees, we raised this legal fund. We've got several hundred members that are all very similar to Mateo and I that are very active and uh, more on the investor side of this business as well as the management side uh, and have multiple listings that essentially if you're a non-resident of Atlanta or you uh, have more than two listings, uh, you are not able to do this legally anymore. And so we were successful um, with getting the enforcement delay deadline. It was originally gonna be actually some I think September of last year, um, it was extended till um, March, then April, then June, and now it's September 6th is kind of the current enforcement date. And we're currently uh, negotiating with the city planning department, legal department and the mayor's office regarding uh, legacy rights uh, as a starting point. Thanks, Rich. Insane, 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 it's crazy. insane. <laughs> and, and Especially because Atlanta went from nothing to ridiculous in a short matter a short amount of time so and and that's not something we you know that that's what we hear everywhere like they go from nothing to to like full you know grip on on it's not like it there is no nice ease into regulations it's more like hey by the way we we're unhappy and now we're going to go ahead and and put a grip on it um we want to introduce our last guest um potentially last guest we might have one more joining uh sarah bradford thank you so much for joining us um, why don't you, I, we, we know, uh, but I'm not sure if everyone knows that's listening that you have uh, exited out of the short term rental uh, vacation rental world. Yay! Congratulations. Watching, yeah. um, Big deal. Back in April, and she sold, uh, but you were, you were, and maybe still are heavily involved, but definitely were heavily involved with Steamboat Springs. We'd love to hear um, your story. And, and we definitely, we brought you on because you've been in the trenches for a long time battling. Yeah. Hi guys. Thanks for having me on. It just hit me when you said from nothing to ridiculous, that could be the title of this podcast because that's what happened in steamboat because there were no regulations. We got really bad regulations. So I'm a big proponent of having some regulations that you can point to. Otherwise you get in really big trouble, but uh, yeah, the fight in Steamboat Springs is very much still going on. In fact, heated even more. So I wish I could tell you, I solved it all and have the magic answer but instead I just sold my business. Um, <laughs> Screw it, no, I'm out. <laughs> not because of that, yeah. uh, but it did wear yeah. me down. I spent about a year, a solid year fighting in Steamboat for some sort of uh, data-driven regulation. So in Steamboat, they hadn't even registered any vacation rentals other than about 200 and some private homes you had to register you had to register a standalone home in these certain zones that's all they had ever done they didn't have any registration and now i think it's like the perfect storm we've all talked about is covid helped us in so many ways like the demand went way up and you know all the government help and all the things but covid also brought everyone to our destinations especially tourist destinations everybody was at home the locals and the tourists and they and then the locals were afraid of the tourists because they didn't want to get covid so it created this horrible situation of noticing vacation rentals way more than before in steamboat at least 
And then in Steamboat, the prices of homes went skyrocketing. I mean, to get a decent home in Steamboat is now $2 million. And so we have all the local workers are moving away. They can't find housing. And that whole perfect storm made this city council say, we're going to go from nothing to ridiculous, right? And they basically outlawed vacation rentals in about half to three-fourths of the town. And if anyone's ever been to Steamboat, all we have is tourism. Right. The main area is still, you can have vacation rentals, but now worse than ever. So you, th- you think that's ridiculous. It's now that they said, not only are we going to do that, but we need to pay for all this affordable housing we need to build. So let's put a nine to 10% tax on short-term rentals. In addition to all the sales tax, county, state, city, hotel tax. So Steamboat, if this passes in November, would be 21% or higher tax on a vacation rental, which pretty much wipes out a lot of profit, right? Well, yeah. Where do the margins? I mean, our margins, as in ours, overall in the uh, in the industry, the margins are are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, anyways. And now to add a, a you know increase your tax up to 21%. Um, in this example is, is absolutely insanity. So there's the only way to go ahead and, and make more profit is to raise the prices, which in turn gives more tax dollars. So, you know, the government's like, oh, okay, um, we're, we're fine with that. But it, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're in some issues here. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Casago. And we- John, you mean Casago. No, I meant Casago. John, that's not how you say it. You got to get our sponsor's name right, man. Anyway, as I was saying before I got cut off, this episode is brought to you by Casago. And if you haven't heard of them, then here's the deal. Casago helps bring the biggest tech and strategy to the local operators so they can take on the big players. Casago's franchise model really does streamline the operations of the local and traditional vacation rental management company, making them the local heroes with a global presence. And the industry changing as much as it has, Casago's not only bringing these high-powered tools to the local operators, but they're also creating something even more powerful by making sure everyone is in the community and constantly learning from different markets and operators. We tell you this because they've joined us to get this exclusive offer just for checking them out a little bit more. Go to casago.com forward slash no BS. That is C-A-S-A-G-O dot C-O-M forward slash N-O-B-S to book your discovery call. What's included, you ask? A review of your business operation expenses to identify where you can save money, information on how to partner with Casago or Casago to scale your company, and a free $100 Amazon gift card for attending their one-hour discovery call. Now let's get back to the pod. It's Casago. No, no, it's for sure Casago. You have no idea what you're talking about. It's Casago. No, dude, you're wrong. You're on. Whatever. Let's get back to the business. When, when I was talking to to Brian and to Marie earlier in the week, you, you mentioned somewhat. One of you mentioned that there was a, a someone that was a renter moved up and um, moved up into the into Clatsop uh, County there, and and is now is now like was enjoying vacation rentals and now it's decided to move there and please correct me if I'm wrong um, is decided to move there and now is anti-vacation rentals um, you know because this is her new place uh, this is her like this is her like like holy land now 
Um, you know, can we kind of dive into that? And is this something that, you know, we're seeing also, you know, do, are we seeing this in Marco? Are we seeing this? I mean, Marco is interesting because Marco is by far like the bougiest outside of Miami. It's the bougiest place. It's the bougiest Gulf Coast place in Florida. Um, and so I can just, I can see it happening there. Like, Marie, was it you and I that were chatting about that? Yeah. So um, the one of our properties is in Surf Pines, an HOA community, but um, we purposely purchased it because the uh, the CCNRs were not running with the land. So it's essentially an HOA that was established just to keep up roads and grounds um, and less restrictive uh, CCNRs equate to better for short-term rental and also typically a county will see it as worth more valuable of a home um, because people don't like restrictions. They don't wanna to be told what color to paint their door, or what kind of landscape they need to have. Um, so the HOA doesn't have that. Uh, but this particular person moved here from California. Uh, she is a prominent person. Uh, she has her own business and she lets everybody know that she has that business. Uh, I met her on the day of her closing. She came to one of the HOA meetings and the first thing she was looking to do was to move the person's RV that was across the street from her. That had been there for quite some time. In fact, it was there when she looked at the property. And so a couple of us looked at each other and thought, we're kind of in for it here. <laughs> um, and so she went from trying to get the CCNRs changed to now she is a pretty prolific, like, you know, really active in this community for restricting um, short-term rentals. And she runs around really quoting some misinformation stating that short-term rentals are only owned by people who are rich. Um, they're only owned by big investors, um, which is hardly the case. I mean, I consult for people all over the country and most people are having to rent their homes so they have some place to retire to someday. In fact, some people are doing that and they're willing to live in a smaller apartment while they're trying to afford this house that they're renting out. So at the same time she's running around saying this, she's driving around in her bright yellow Corvette through the community. <laughs> but the locals are buying what she's saying because for the longest time, you know, operators are just have their head down, right? It's a grueling business. <laughs> we're all trying to survive and we're all trying to comply. And Brian and I were talking about this, but you know, you don't have time to answer every single person that comes up and objects to them. So you just keep your head down and maybe you're fighting your fight on this side of the coast and you're not connecting with the people that are fighting over on the other end. Um, and meanwhile, these people are connecting up and they're getting pretty powerful. So. Yeah, so, yeah. So Marie, I can add to this. I mean, Atlanta's beginnings of this ridiculousness is a very similar story in that the Atlanta city council member uh, that's been in Buckhead for uh, many, many years. He's kind of a, a veteran uh, council member, uh, literally lived on the same street as um, a couple of mansions in Buckhead that were basically an out-of-town owner that really didn't care. It was just really about making money. They literally had these wild TMZ parties with strippers and AKs and rappers and like, you know, 
a bunch of people in, in these mansion parties. And it was his initiative on this council uh, over the last two or three years. Uh, he started with, let's just do an outright ban of short-term rentals. And, um, you know, obviously gravitated to, you know, this, this one or two horror stories of this particular owner of these two properties. And uh, essentially, that's what that's where it got started. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the platforms, including Airbnb, uh, they're looking at this thing as a win because the starting point was we want to do away with them all together. And so the concept of, okay, well, if you allow a primary resident to do it and they can do one more property, that's wonderful. But forget about the fact that it's going to knock out about 50% of the current listings in Atlanta. And so, um, unfortunately, it's a lot of this is a very similar story. It's one or two, you know, bad actors that uh, that cause the uh, unnecessary attention to what we know statistically is a very small percentage of what happens in our space. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, to add to that, Rich, too, just to speak on Atlanta, like the data is not supporting the narrative at large. Um, you know, VRMA has been helpful, very helpful to AMSHRA and, and us in, in funding studies and, and, you know, supporting the advocacy efforts of, of our group. And so we've actually been able to see the data and understand, yes, you know, Atlanta's got a housing issue like most cities in this country do. You know, do we play a part in that? A very small part, yes. And we understand that as the professionals in the space. And But the difference is also we're willing to, you know, play and, and pay for our part in that space responsibly uh, and be good neighbors and do other things. What's really tripping up people into Atlanta, and I think one thing that you brought up, Maria, is, is you know, uh, I'm sorry, Sarah, was the, the COVID pandemic. And I saw it real time in the legislation in the city council meetings where you had council members during COVID talking about the people who were coming and visiting in Atlanta and were in her building in this fear of, you know, poorly managed STRs and this commingled narrative of parties and party houses that had already been legislated. Atlanta has a party house ordinance, a very strict and it actually a really good ordinance that separates those people, uh, and again, I do mean those people who operate those party houses and are the ones that, you know, give the whole industry a black eye and are not the professionals in this space, uh, not us in this space, but they're the ones that get all the attention, um, the negative attention. And, you know, we're still, that's still people's primary fear. Oh, we don't want this in our neighborhood. We don't want this here. We don't want that there. They're not speaking to the data that really shows that, hey, we're, we're a significant number of the revenue that's generated in, in creating jobs within this community. And, you know, this group is the, clearly the responsible professionals that ha holds and has a standard and operates within that space. But, you know, it, we're still, you know, being, there's no separation in this space. And, you know, that's what, one of the biggest things that we're working on in, Atlanta, in Atlanta is to get a, a real, you know, being the advocates that people go to for the real information, the real data, and, you know, being good neighbors and being good community members in which we really want to be and are willing to work with the city, willing to work with our neighborhoods and willing to work with our neighbors to bring something that's comprehensive and that makes sense. And that is not, like I said earlier, just ridiculous. Have you spent hours determining what rate you should charge at your short-term rental property? Of course you have. This is a huge part of the vacation rental business, and it can be tricky knowing if your place is on par with other properties in the area. 
But now you don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. And that's because it's so much easier pricing out your properties with Beyond Pricing. Here's how it works. Beyond uses a dynamic pricing tool along with in-depth market research to make sure your property gets valued exactly how it should be. They take dozens of factors into account, including your property's location, other rental rates in the area, any amenities on your property, nearby attractions, all of the things that most of us just wouldn't think about when pricing our own properties. That way you don't miss out on profits and your guests feel confident in the rate that they're paying so they come back again and again and again. That's a win-win and it gets even better. Beyond's platform is easy to use so you can save time and think about other areas of your business or enjoy your free time a little more now that you won't be stressing out about the rate you're charging. There's a reason why hundreds of single and multi-property owners trust Beyond's platform to determine what they should charge their guests. Beyond is dedicated to the short-term rental community. It's where their business was born and it's where they intend to stay. Don't wait, get the profits you deserve. Go to gobeyondpricing.com forward slash no dash BS for a free portfolio assessment and a $30 credit when you sign up. That's G-O-B-E-Y-O-N-D-P-R-I-C-I-N-G forward slash N-O dash B-S. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the episode. Well, I'm going to tell you how to work on that. One of the things I've been trying to do is in our market, especially, there is a real difference between short-term rentals and second homeowners that have a vacation home. Yep. Vacation homeowners do not have to comply by any rules, ordinances, other than trash and noise. So we've got a compound. There's five homes around a tennis court in the south end of Cannon Beach that I used to get complaints about my short-term rental I managed because this family had a family reunion twice a year. They'd bring 50 to 75 people in. They'd party all night. There were kegs everywhere. It wasn't a short-term rental issue. It was a vacation home issue. It was a second homeowner issue. And so trying to educate people on that, because the data does show if it's a professionally managed property, we don't have problems. If it's a short-term rental, things are taken care of. And so trying to educate people on there's a difference between a short-term rental and a second home, vacation home, has been one of my key key things in our area. We, we have crazy regulations in Cannon Beach where you can rent once every 14-day period. Um, which means we're a week on, week off in the summer. Um, our council said, gee, you're only paying $75 a year for a permit, so let's go to 500 in one fell swoop mm. because they wanted more cash. But I agree with Sarah in that we do need some regulation. There are things, Marie and I have talked about certain things that going to the, the commissions and things and saying, okay, these are smart regulations. These are things that will help this, this industry. Um, and we're willing to make those compromises. Um, I think we have to get out of the it's all or nothing battle, which is what the non the non SDR people are. They're all or nothing. And we have to come into it and say, hey, here's the deal. You know, let's let's work on it. Let's have some compromise and, and get us. One of the biggest issues is we're never at the table. It's all the antis that are at the table. They never invite yeah. the people that have the knowledge of the industry going on because they know. A lot of time we're bringing the data and the things that are correct. And this, this is where I want to jump in. And, and we've been kind of beating this drum for over a year now on this podcast. You know, when, when every, anytime we're talking about regulatory issues, it's super, super important to go ahead. And before there's an issue, there will be an issue in your community. I don't care where you're listening. There will be some sort of regulatory issue that you're going to have to deal with in your community. Make yourself known. 
introduce yourself as you know whoever you are to the in, to your municipalities and say hey this is what I do um, I'm a professional um, please you know let me be a resource for you make friends with with the people the the decision makers or the influencers in your community and be an influencer be a decision maker and, and help you know like ex- before it's too late it will become too late and or it's never too late it will become harder to go ahead and you know to to get your footing in these communities if you're not if you haven't established yourself as the go-to person or a go-to group of people in your community because you've you've already been established you've already gone ahead and, and extended that olive branch you know i think um part of this problem starts with you know a lot of the commissions and like local governments they don't have a lot of experience i mean look at how much our industry has grown and just that period when right COVID happened. I mean, so it was already building up in the last five to 10 years, but that explosion during a time when we really should have been like, you know, calm. Um, and then people's behavior explode were was explosive too, because they were completely locked up. And um, I think these local governments don't have a lot of experience with short-term rentals. So you, you do need that seat at the table but when you have a community of local people who have real concerns about what they're experiencing, they're not, you can't meet them with it's not happening. And you can't be afraid to talk about it for fear of you're going to lose your permit. And that was one of the ways that I reached um, our local government, our commissioners, was that, you know, it's like being bad stepchildren, right? You're, you're constantly being punished in some way why don't you flip the switch and start rewarding the good ones and you'll see other people aspire to be like us um, because that's how you get their attention. If you keep calling out that they're bad, they can never get from underneath that. And actually, then you make the voice louder. Maybe it's like, how much percentage could it be that someone is really constantly a party? Maybe it's one house, two houses, but it's local people that talk, right? So instead of filing a complaint, Betty, she goes to the Safeway and she speaks to John and John speaks to his wife. And then before you know it, the whole town has this story. And not only do they have a story, but they've had one that they've added to along the way. And so those speak to the communities louder than what we can speak to them. And so that seat at the table with your local government is huge, um, but so is your involvement in your community. The more people that know you and know how you run things um, and that will hear you, um, you know, cut through the bullshit. Stop saying you don't have issues and tell them what your issues are. In fact, ask them for help with your issues. One of the things I also asked for was, if you want me to enforce these, give me some teeth to do it. My guests know that if they park in the wrong place, I'm going to get in trouble. But what happens to them? So if I report them, where's my teeth? What am I going to do? So, you know, there's a lot on every side that needs to come together to make this work. 
You put a great point out too, is, you know, just talking about coming together and, and earlier we've talked about the difference between professionally managed and hosts. And I think that, you know, yes, there's a difference, but at the same time, I think we kind of need to bring that together and we're all, we're all renting, you know, we're all either, you know, short-term rental, vacation rentals, like they're the, these hosts, they all have the tools now to run a professionally managed business. It's different than it even was five years ago when it was just the, the Airbnb. Um, and that's all they really had. You know, now there are, you know, hosts are professionally managing as well and they have to bring up the, and their standards are brought up across the board. And I feel that, you know, us in the professionally managed world, looking at them with a, a different like lenses on isn't necessarily the right way to go about it as well. Well, there's a great group in Portland. Deb has it, and I can't remember the name of it, but it, it all started as, as independent Airbnb hosts, but they are probably the one of the most professional individually managed groups. They manage their own properties. They have one or two each. It's an amazing group, and, and they're just as professional as the rest of us that are sitting at this table. Um, they care about their neighborhoods. They care about safety, you know, all of those things. So um, I agree, John, that making them we all have to have that voice together yeah shout out to debbie herder in the host host organization yeah. they're actually one of the best i've seen out there for sure uh, in portland yeah i think i think it's definitely like maria's talking about an awareness thing right so unfortunately many of these council folks that are voting on these ordinances the very first time they even understand what a airbnb or short-term rental is is from neighbors jumping up and complaining about it yeah. and so the, the sooner you can engage with the folks that are in your district and educate them on uh, the professional side of this in terms of, you know, we always go and meet our neighbors before we go live on, on a, a listing. Uh, we want to be able to have that, that interaction and that direct line of communication. Uh, we don't allow parties. You know, we've got quiet times from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. I mean, we use technology, noise detection devices. So all this stuff that you or all of us kind of use to run our businesses, um, those folks know nothing about it, and they, it, all they know is they, they hear these bad stories. And so I think the sooner you can engage, uh, like John was saying, uh, with your local council folks and, and kind of just have that, those conversations about what you do and how you do it, uh, the better you're going to be. Because when these things get voted on, it moves very, very quickly. And uh, you don't want to wait until you're uh, in, in, in rush, rush mode to kind of have those conversations and participate in some of the hearings. So that should just be a regular general part of your, your, your process in your city or your county, uh, just as a general rule, especially if they don't have any ordinances on the books yet, um, so that you can kind of get ahead of it. Yeah. So this is Sarah again. In Steamboat, so take our community, I noticed over the year with everyone saying, well, this neighbor, we had this issue, it was loud, the trash was everywhere, the bears got into it. The problem was there was no way to complain. So all it became is what Marie's saying is that was rumors at the grocery store. So the council members said they were getting accosted at the grocery store, being told a story or two. And what it came down to for us was let's have a complaint line. Let's go ahead and do that so we can see where these problems are. And when I even dug into what property are they really talking about, it came down to two of 3,000 in Steamboat. And that's the problem is if you can't use data to show where the problem is, then it becomes that everywhere is an issue. 
And it really became two. And I reached out to one of the owners. I found the owner, which city council never does, right? They just hide behind it and say, oh, there's problems. And I reached out to the owner and she's mortified. She didn't know that the company that was help managing her place was being so irresponsible. She changed management companies. She got ahead of it. Why can't these cities, towns, whatever, go after the problems, right? Like the big party mansion you're talking about and deal with the issue instead of removing all that tax money and getting rid of all the vacation rentals. And that gets back to, if we're talking about tips and tricks, one would be get the city to get a complaint line and show the data before doing any regulation and show that you're interested in solving the problems. Be okay with a three-hour resolution time. Be okay with 24-7 um, person in town that can deal with it because that is what you need when there is a party or there's a loud dog barking or whatever. The other tips and tricks, though, is to put names and faces around these people and talk to city council and your community in what benefits them. They don't care that you're making money on vacation rentals. The second homeowner is a villain. Let's just call it that. At least in these communities, we tend to not like the second homeowners. It's not okay, but that's how it is. Talk to them about how it benefits them. What does city council get out of vacation rentals? Can right. you guys name that? Think about it. They get money. They get tourism. Tourism helps businesses. Talk to local businesses about what tourists do for them. Talk to the locals about how this helps them. You know what? You're going to have to start paying more for your all the things you love in Steamboat if you don't have this tax money. Do you understand that? Stop talking about how it hurts you because nobody cares about how it hurts you. Right. You guys agree That's with that? Great point. Yep. No, no one gives a shit. And, you know, not only what do they get, but what, what do they don't get when it's not, when it's no longer there? Like what happens when, when this ban does happen? You know, what's the data behind that? I love your data, you know, collect data, you know, and complaint line. I think those are uh, amazing ideas. And, I, and I, it's got my brain going a little bit, actually. I, I, I got a question, Sarah. Like, how come, and you got, and I'd say this is because of the experience that you have in the industry and in my short time and being in this space, you know, we look to, you know, organizations, city council members get replaced. One of the things that we're dealing with in Atlanta is we got a new slate of city council members that all of the work that we've been doing before, now we're dealing with a new city council, a new mayor, right? But the thing that hasn't changed is us and the people who are in this or in this space, you know, now, you know, Amsterdam is new, but the people who are here are people who have been in this industry for a while who have been here. Like, why don't we, why aren't we the premier voice within this space? Why aren't we the ones pushing the PR in the way, you know, from VRMA on down to the local organizations? Why don't we have control of this narrative? Why are we allowing the others to come in with bad data when we have good data and the real data, right? And we've done all this research. Why is our voice muffled so much in this conversation? Yeah, well, I think it's what Marie touched on is we've all been really busy. And when I had to focus on this for a year, it took away, luckily I had a great team, but it was basically became my full-time job. So I do believe super strongly in local groups like you guys are talking about to collect this data. I unfortunately had no help from some of the organizations you mentioned. Don't expect Airbnb to come helping. 
rent responsibly was actually awesome for us. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Dana. They, Dana. Great. It's more that they really organized our group, pushed us to do the things and offered services and, and that. But when it really came down to it, I would had a big map in my kitchen of Steamboat and I was putting dots where every vacation rental was that I got from key data. Key data was actually really helpful for us. And I was doing the overlay, this overlay, like see-through thing. And I brought it to the council. And this is the thing is councils, mayors, whoever, they only want to hear from us. They're, we are their constituents who, who vote. They do not want to hear from Verma. One person stood up from kind of, maybe he's on the Verma board at our, our meeting and said, Ver, VRMA, you should look at their studies. They like rolled their eyes. Like who cares who that is? They want to right. know what their constituents think. So unfortunately, everybody, you have to get out and get your own data and you have to share that data. The one win we had, I do want to share because it, it did work. They had outlawed, put this moratorium in all vacation rentals uh, homes two years ago, or I guess a year and a half ago. And 10 of the streets were absolutely ridiculous. They were million dollar homes near the resort. You could walk to skiing. They never were intended for residential. And we went crazy on data and looked at which homes were owned by locals versus second homeowners and were able to prove and use data to show a low local density. And we convinced that council to take those 10 streets out of the moratorium. And it was a fight and it was painful doing the data analysis, but at some point, at least a reasonable government group, which reasonable and government doesn't seem to go together, but when they are, they can't fight data. Okay. So that's what I want to say to everybody is arm yourself with information and arm yourself with information that helps city council. They were able to defend why they took the 10 10 streets out. If they can't defend it with data, they're not going to do it for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I think it's just that we're all really, we're busy. And to put this together is a major, major effort. But you have to find two or three people, other vacation rental homeowners or companies or whatever people that really care about this, that have the effort to do it and work with you on it. You can't do it alone, right? Like let's hear from Mark and in Marco Island, you can't do this alone in Marco Island, right? Or it's just going to be crazy Mark talking about this stuff. That's a great point. Yeah. We, we live on an Island and sometimes you feel like you are on an Island uh, by yourself. And uh, this has been a nascent issue. I mean, it's back in 2015, uh, the group that's agitating currently had gone after vacation rentals. I wasn't here at the time. Uh, but they went after condos and single family homes, came up with a, an ordinance, but they worked through the city council. This time they're smartened up and they put it on a on the ballot to be voted on. So uh, the last time when they the city council approved it in 2015, they uh, they got all this backlash from the business community and vacation rentals and they wound up tabling it and said, OK, we're not going to implement this ordinance now. This is forcing the city council's hands. So just like everyone here on this call said, I mean, we're from different regions of the country, but it's amazing how we're all facing similar issues. Like that's really doesn't change, you know, noise, parking, trash, all the things you said, those are the three levers here that, you know, people are pulling on and complaining about. And uh, I think exaggerating, you know, making hyperbolic statements about how bad, you know, this is. And anytime there's an issue, it's related to a vacation rental without 
providing the facts. They're not bringing the receipts. They're not bringing that data. They're just bringing that conversation in the supermarket and they're bringing it with this vitriol and this passion. And yeah, it's tough to ignore that. And you're right, your head's down trying to run hopefully a successful business. You know, this is the last thing you want to have to take on when you're you know, dealing with uh, a shower that won't turn on for a guest. And you're like, okay, how do I juggle this? I got to get my five-star review on Verbo and, and Airbnb. And uh, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to Marie offline because I'm convinced that this woman she was talking about owns a property on Marco Island because <laughs> the same exact thing that she said, we have one of the leaders of uh, the Take Back Marco and we're questioning who you're trying to take it back from, but she's been here for two years and came down from Illinois and uh, is a proud member of the Tea Party. And I made the comment last night at city council. I was like, well, it's interesting. I was like, I guess it's don't tread on me, tread on thee. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's for her now, it's like, shut the bridge down into Marco. I'm here. We don't need any other, you know, vacation rentals. Let's get rid of them. And it is really disheartening when someone's coming at it. She's now running for city council, you know, to that point. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to fight it, but we're even, uh, and I welcome any input here. Last night at the city council meeting, of course, you have the vacation rental managers like myself that are passionate because if this passes, you know, could almost put us out of business or really curtail what we're doing. And we've been reaching out to business owners to say, okay, especially the restaurants, there's a lot yeah. more restaurants here than you need to have if this is just a community of currently 17,000 uh, full-time residents is the estimate. And they think just over 50,000 in the peak season, which is February and March. And then, you know, January and April, things are still busy, about 50,000. So they said, you know, the island sinks a couple couple inches, you know, during our peak season, mm -hmm. but getting business owners to come out and speak last night, people that when I spoke to a month ago at the, you know, the Ace Hardware and said, Hey, listen, you know what this is about? It's not a rental registration system. This is a rental ban, it's, you know, masquerading as such. And they said, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and then we're, we're going to go out and talk, you know, and be out of business. And then made a couple comments on Facebook and next door and all the vitriol that came back at them. And they didn't show up at the meeting last night to talk about, you know, the impact on their business. Now, I firmly believe there'll be a no vote, you know, come uh, come next month. Yeah. But it'd be helpful to sway hearts and minds because I can say what I'm going to say. Of course, Mark, uh, Marco, that does vacation rentals is going to fight for this to be legal. But what about the people downstream that deal with this? And, and I have been going around the island. I spoke to our three supermarkets on the island which you won't need three supermarkets if you don't have vacation rentals. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that Kraft and Heinz should be donating tens of thousands of dollars to our cause because think of all the ketchup and mustard and mayo that aren't going to get sold, you know, that right. we wind up throwing out because there's a couple squeezes from the bottle and thrown out. And then the next guest comes in and buys that ketchup, mustard, and mayo all over again. Right. And it's like, you know, where where's that support? Um, I will also say that I've been disheartened by our Area Association of Realtors that's been late to the game. Fortunately, they're stepping up and it sounds like they're going to put money and a commitment and really fight and have a backbone in this and say, this can't pass. But our Chamber of Commerce, which unfortunately has made up a lot of the retired business people, I think, that just kind of want to relive the glory days at a happy hour once a month. Right. They did not come out forcefully against this at all. They basically just said, read it and come to your own conclusions. Yep. And so you got a board of 11 that just withered and, and you're just like, where are the people to help? And so I really feel for what Sarah just said, because we're, we're living with it right now. It's been a group of individual homeowners, a collection of property managers. And what's been great about this business is how collegial it is. I, I never, I worked in corporate America doing sales. I never wanted to talk to my competitors, but here 
there's so much cooperation. Uh, if it's running right, hey, listen, I might win this client and I might lose the next one, but hey, we all win, right? Let's let's work together. So I'm, I'm hopeful that you know we created a good coalition, but that direction and guidance is what we're lacking right now. We're like herding cats. Everyone has some different ideas. We're raising money. We're putting out signs. We're getting stickers. We're trying to set up an agenda at the city council meeting, but we're all just trying to build this plane while we fly it. And so, uh, so happy to be on the call to hear, you know, what you guys think about how we harness some of the lessons learned that you guys have had. And I'm I, gonna bring I, those right back. Check back tomorrow for part two of this regulatory 911 with our same guest to continue this conversation. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.